thought tonight I'd talk a little bit about food photography. I think all of us are kind of guilty of this, you know, with our cell phones and taking pictures of our food and posting it to Instagram or Facebook. Um, I was recently at a new place around the corner here called Radish, and it's owned by Amanda Fredrickson. And had a chance to meet the owner, too, while she was there. Um, Follow her on uh, Instagram, and she followed me. And um, it's really one of those fun places. And the bowls come out so artistically. When you you open it up and you see the, the vegetables and the meat and the sauces arranged so artistically, you can't help but want to take a picture of it and post it. And I think it's kind of fun to see... Um, to see people posting food. Uh, you know, we had Daniela Malave here of Tresfiori, uh, who I interviewed, and her cupcakes are just pure artistry. Gluten-free cupcakes with this wonderful floral buttercream. They're out of this world. Um, and you can't help but want to photograph it. And I think it's kind of fun watching people do the photography of their food. And uh, yeah, but then there's others like Alan Shapiro, my friend Alan Shapiro. I've known Alan since the early days at Google Plus. And Alan takes food photography even further. He takes these pieces of fruit and cheese and and um, creates and other and other food items and creates these artistic masterpieces he will cube like um what is it jackfruit and um other types of passion fruit and create these artistic photographs that can rival some of the still lives that we see you know that you remember like the dutch still lives that you see in the museums uh, painted, and these are photographs that he does using dates and nuts and and uh, grapes and other fruits. And he does the same thing with flowers too. I got to tell you, he's probably one of the best floral photographers I've ever seen. And he does also these portraits of people that he meets on the streets in New York that are that are really outstanding too. Um, just an all-around great guy. If you're on Instagram, I highly recommend following Alan. Um, I think it's Alan Shapiro, and it's 515, maybe? Uh, you'll have to look it up, but the photographer uh, is the one that you want to follow. Um, but back to the food stuff. I, I, I think it's really funny. I mean, these days, you know, you have people, you're doing selfies with your food, or you're just photographing your food and you're posting it. And there are whole entire social media accounts just dedicated to where you can go photograph your food. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I am a foodie. I am someone who loves food. I love cooking food. I love going to the grocery store. I love going to the specialty shops. I love preparing, you know, preparing um, food, not just, you know, it's not just cooking, but, uh, you know, setting out the trays for a board meeting where you take the cookies and the and the pastries and you set them out artistically on a tray. I mean, it's stuff like that. And the, what is it? Charcuterie, charcuterie trays are all the rage. I keep seeing them everywhere. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to get my hands on one of those with all those cheeses and fruits and nuts and, and the rolled meats. I love prosciutto. 
but um, to see everybody doing those displays. And I think it's really, it's really fun to see that too. And, and you can see what you get ahead of time. I have this opportunity of working for a farm to table um, company that um, I've been studying really hard on this. Um, and to be able to describe the items because you're not going in and doing a in-home cooking de- demonstration is one that uh, you have to work with. And, and, and it takes, you know, good food photography too. Um, if you prepare it at home and you want to de- show the buyer what you can do with this, this food. Uh, and um, I, think it's, I think it's really fascinating what we see these days with, with food. I always was a big fan of um, Bon Appetit and gourmet. I remember babysitting for a family starting in sixth grade. Uh, the kids were four, four and six years younger than I was. And the mother was a gourmet chef. I gotta tell you, Jan was an excellent chef, excellent baker. And she would get all the food magazines. And I loved when I would babysit there, pouring through those magazines, pouring through the recipes, pouring through the photographs in those. And my mother would get food magazines too, but hers were more better homes and gardens, country living. Um, what is, there were some other ones that she would get too, um, that were more, you know, more, more just regular cooking. They weren't gourmet. It was uh, comfort food. I think I'm trying to think of. Um, and my mother had this whole whole shelves of cookbooks. She, we had so many cookbooks. I remember when I moved down here to Tennessee, I think I gave away half my cookbooks. Uh, the rest are still in my pod. God, I hope I can save that pod. <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway, um, they were just years and years of cookbooks. But I tell you, and my friend Pamela... Um, showed a picture of the cookbook of a cookbook yesterday and some chocolate chips that her that her uh, one of her children had made and I looked at it and I said Betty Crocker she said yes it's Betty Crocker I said I have that cookbook I love that cookbook their banana bread is the best banana bread she came back and she says yeah and I mix it a little bit different way I said this is how I make the basic Betty Crocker banana bread I add a little touch of cinnamon, sometimes a little bit of ground nutmeg, but the secret to my banana bread, and I miss eating it because I hate being gluten-free. I have to find a way to do this banana bread gluten-free. The secret to my banana bread is to take some turbinado coarsely, you know, the coarse turbinado sugar, and sprinkle it on top and let it sink in as it bakes and rises to the surface. And you get this crunch when you eat that wonderful, moist banana bread. I don't care whether it has nuts in or no nuts. It depends on whether you eat nuts or you're allergic to nuts. You know, it's fantastic. It's just the basic recipe for banana bread from Betty Crocker. And I'm talking the older Betty Crocker recipes, you know, you got to use real butter too. Make sure you use real unsalted butter in that banana bread. You got to melt it and it is out of this world. And um, brings me back to, you know, cookbook collections and food photography. And I love Southern Living. 
that was the other one my mother would get with Southern Living. And I'm, I'm talking the older Southern Living. You know, Southern Living's been revamped. And then she started getting Cooking Light, too. And Cooking Light and Southern Living were the ones that I collected the most. Uh, the cookbooks and the recipes. And I couldn't wait to get my hands on Southern Living's annual recipes. Or And then they stopped putting so many photographs in. Recipes are still really good. Great recipes. But you miss something when you only have like five or six pages of, of photographs and then you have 30 pages of just plain old recipes. Yeah, I kind of like when you go back to that old Betty Crocker cookbook that I'm talking about because it had recipes every few pages. I mean, recipes. It had recipes all over. It had photographs of the food every few pages. And I love seeing that. And you could see what you were going to make, whether it was beef stroganoff or whether you were going to make um, icebox cookies or um, beef stew. Um, and to see the photographs and food. And I guess that's what we're doing on social media these days when we're posting our food that we make. It's kind of like what you used to do when you used to pull out a whole recipe book and see the photographs there. And we didn't have social media growing up. We didn't have cell phones growing up. You know, the, what you saw was either the food that was in front of you, the food in a restaurant or a grocery store or bakery, you know, some kind of specialty stuff. But you didn't have all those images in front of you. So the cookbooks, in many cases, at least the cookbooks from like the mid-60s forward going on, would have these beautiful photographs of food. And I remember some of the really, really old cookbooks my mom had. Uh, some of the Mennonite cookbooks. She, she had a lot of Mennonite and Amish cookbooks. And one of her favorite things was Ponhaus. Ponhaus is a Pennsylvania Dutch um, thing. As far as I know, it's Pennsylvania Dutch. And it's uh, cornmeal with uh, various different meat, meat drippings and kind of the little pieces of, you know, the leftover meat, you know, some of the stuff you wouldn't eat otherwise in kind of a cornmeal, almost like what we consider polenta these days, type base, kind of a fried mush. And you slice it up and then you add a, in a little butter, um, usually add a little salt and pepper, although some of it, some, some ponhaus tends to be fairly um, salty to begin with. And you get it nice and crispy and you cut into it. And, and it's just this flavor that it's very hard to describe. If you've ever had uh, fried polenta or, or cornmeal or cornmeal mush, fried mush, it has a little bit different taste to it because there's that meat in there that you don't have when you order fried mush, say at Bob Evans. And there used to be a place in Springfield, Ohio called the Arcade. And during the time period that I was in college at Wittenberg University, and a little bit after, my mother would go to the Arcade and she would buy a pan or two of Ponhaus. Sometimes she'd share it with me. Sometimes, you know, I would get a little of that. But usually she'd take that home, and I'd have to go home in order to get a piece or two of it. And she'd fry that up, and it was so good. 
so good. I'm not sure if the, I'm sure the arcade shut down. I'm not sure what they did with the building. Um, but I do remember that that was something that my mother was very, very fond of. And I suppose had my mother, you know, she died 10, 10 and a half years ago, um, been alive during a lot of this more social media stuff. I don't see my mother using social media, but I could see my mother being really impressed if I sent her a bunch of photos taken on my cell phone of food that I made. And my mother taught me how to cook. She was an excellent cook and she was kind of a kitchen sink cook. And she was one of those people that if it was in the refrigerator, you found a way to use it before you had to throw it away. And that's kind of how I am. And, um, you know, you don't want to waste it unless it's really, really, really awful. <laughs> I mean, I remember one time when I first started making fudge, I accidentally put salt in instead of sugar. And of course, the entire pan had to be thrown away. But for the most part, you know, when you're a kitchen sink cook, you take what's in the refrigerator or what's in the freezer, you know, that half-eaten bag of peas. Or you take, you know, what's the, some of the sauces that are sitting there um, that you need to use up, you know, black bean sauce or, or um, my favorite is Thai sweet chili sauce. I mean, I could put Thai sweet chili sauce on just about anything. But you put everything together and you try to mix it together. It's kind of the concept of... Um, Oh, what is that show? Um, Chopped or Guy's Grocery Games, you know, some of those food shows where you're given these oddball ingredients that you've got to come up with a meal. And you have to use every single one of those ingredients in a meal. Now, ours was usually more comfort type food, you know, not the more gourmet type stuff that you see on Chopped and even on Guy's Grocery Games. But you know, it's that whole kitchen sink concept. This is what you have in front of you. This is what you have available to cook. Come up with something. And then it's kind of fun then to go back and photograph what you see. I mean, uh, you know, again, getting back to the, the food photography. And we see so much of that these days. Uh, you, As I said, you know, there are photographers who specialize strictly in food photography. Um... You know, I have several friends that, that do that and that bake, that do their artisanal breads and they're posting them. And <clears throat> being gluten-free, one of the things I miss is a real good, crunchy, chewy, sourdough bread or rye. I miss rye bread like crazy. And that was always a comfort food. When I couldn't find anything else to eat in the house and there was a loaf of rye bread, I'd get rye bread. I'd add a little mustard to it. If we had a little Swiss cheese, I'd put Swiss cheese and rye. I think I, that's what got me through fifth grade was Swiss cheese and rye sandwiches. I ate an awful lot of those because we had the most horrible kitchen in that little school in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And the only food that was semi-edible there, because they were all pre-packaged, was Pizza Day. And that was your cardboard pizza that had, you know, a little bit of flavor to it. So I packed my lunch pretty much every single day in fifth grade. 
and it was usually Swiss cheese on rye. <laughs> Probably a good thing that we didn't have cell phones back then and I wasn't taking pictures of my Swiss cheese and rye every day and posting them on Instagram. But, um, yeah, I think that it's really fascinating. I think it's, and there is one, it's called Jacob's Food Diaries. And it's on Instagram. And they take, like, Disney characters, and they build them out of all food materials. These look exactly like Disney characters, or they look like other cartoon characters. But primarily Disney. You'll have, you know, Timon and Pumbaa. You'll have Stitch, and it's all done in food, and it's gorgeous stuff. And the other thing is like the Japanese, you know, the bento boxes. You know, each Japanese meal, when you put it in a in a bento box, or even in the bowls, there's a presentation to it. And so it's fascinating to see photographs of of the bento boxes and the. Um, um, you know, the soup in the bowl, the, the broth in the bowl, uh, miso soup. <laughs> and um, I think it's also interesting, too, that these days there are bento boxes for children's lunches. And Hannah Billingsley uh, Mooney, uh, uh, Shay Mooney's uh, wife, uh, frequently shows what her son Asher has taken and eaten or not eaten that day to school. And it's a really cute one to follow um, to see what she comes up with and what he comes back with that he eats and doesn't eat. And um, I think that, uh, you know, I guess it's our obsession with food. Um, and having had a little food insecurity and still having a little bit until I get over this last little bit here. You know, I, I sit there and I'm envious some days that I can't just go have that feast like I'm so used to. I can't just go to Trader Joe's and buy everything I want or Whole Foods and everything I want. Um, you have to be a little more selective, but it doesn't mean that you're not still creative. You know, um, I stayed in a hotel for six months here this past year. Uh, most of it was safety reasons. Um, and that's where I needed to stay. And I just had a little mini fridge, a coffee maker that I could heat water, heat water, and a microwave and a sink. You get really creative when you have just that. You know, lots of fancy instant mashed potatoes, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, whatever I could, whatever I could get downstairs to, you know. Um, <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, whatever I could get downstairs to, you know, bring up, uh, find different ways of cooking eggs, scrambled eggs. What could you mix in with the scrambled eggs that were downstairs? Because some of it was like, how do you cook in a microwave? How do you prepare meals without just having prepared meals? Because there was really, there was no freezer. So it didn't make a lot of sense to buy a lot of frozen meals because they would fall out in the refrigerator. And um, so you'd only get one or two at a time. But how do you get creative with what's there in front of you? 
Thank goodness I didn't photograph a lot of those egg experiments I had with eggs and salsa and cheese and spinach and, and all that type of stuff. Um, but it's still, it's, 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 it's fun. And, and, and what brings me back to one more thing about food, food photography. There are a couple milkshake shops here in Nashville that do these humongous milkshakes that are towering up over the glass that have uh, you know the 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 hot fudge and the 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 caramel dipping you know running down the sides and the whipped cream and you just look at them it's like how on earth do you even eat that but you know in the photograph it's like I want I want I want (laughs) so um I guess you know um one of the good things about social media and photography is that we can meld them together and cooking and food and being a foodie you could have a visual feast through food photography and it can also be an art form if you're someone like alan shapiro who turns it into an art form or jacob's food diaries that turns it into an art form so um i hope that (laughs) you could go out and maybe find some great food photograph it load it on instagram tag me if you want bethy ackerman i mean i'll i'll look at it any day i think it's a lot of fun and uh i thank you so much for listening